0: Hello, Minimizers. Welcome to the Minimalist Podcast, where we discuss what it means to live a meaningful life with less. My name is Joshua Fields
1: Milburn and I'm Ryan Nicodemus and together we are the Minimalists.
0: 11 years of less. Mm. That's right, Ryan. Yeah, ma'am. Today is December 14th, which is officially the 11 year anniversary of the Minimalists. How cool is that, man?
1: Did you think this would
0: last 11 years? I didn't have an expectation around it, thankfully. Yeah, me either. But on today's podcast, that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about what we've learned, what we've, how we've grown and in what ways we've subtracted. Mm. Then this Thursday on the minimalist private podcast, Ryan and I are going to talk about, well, we're going to talk about our many personal failures over the last 11 years. Mm. You can check that out at patreon.com slash the Minimalists. Your support keeps our podcast and YouTube channel 100% advertisement free because advertisements suck. Ryan, our first question today is from Jill on Facebook.
2: How has your understanding of and approach towards minimalism developed over the last seven years?
0: I think my approach has probably changed the same way many people's approach changes. Mm. Ryan and I will often say that minimalism starts with the stuff. And so for me, it truly started with the stuff. You can call it decluttering. You can call it letting go, tidying up. There are all kinds of monikers we can give it. Mm. But it was really about, it was a reaction to being overwhelmed by stuff. Yeah. I had too much stuff in my life, but it turns out that our material possessions are a physical manifestation of what's going on inside us. I knew I had a lot of external clutter. What I didn't know is I had a lot of social clutter, relationship clutter, career clutter, psychological clutter, emotional clutter, spiritual clutter, calendar clutter, obligation clutter. There's a lot of internal mental and emotional clutter going on inside me, and as soon as I started letting go, I I started looking inward and, and realizing like, oh my gosh, there is so much that I still need to deal with. And, and at first, when you start to understand the truth about your stuff and your relationship with stuff, mm. it causes actually more turmoil mm. because it's like, oh, I thought things were fine and maybe I was just one solution away from solving all of my problems. Mm. But then I realized no 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 no. There are actually more problems. And I was covering them up. You know, I think about my mom when, when she died, because that's how we kind of started the whole minimalist thing when when she died, I started questioning everything. She died of stage four lung cancer. Mm. Had she caught that cancer earlier, stage one. She may have been able to eradicate it, right? But instead, we wait, we wait, we wait until it has metastasized all over our lives. Mm. And and I felt like I just had this sort of metastasy of, of clutter throughout every area of my life. And why? Why do we do that? Well, I did it because I wanted to be accepted I wanted to be successful I wanted to be better I wanted to be improved I wanted to be the best version of myself or whatever that that meant but it was all by someone else's standards if I buy the right thing have the right relationship have the right job live in the right house own the right car then I will be the right person Mm. but of course it never worked in fact it took me so far
1: away from being the person I wanted to be yeah, it's interesting. The, the uh, metastasizing comment makes me think about how you know often people will ask, "Well, do you have to have like a major life event happen to like be inspired to be a minimalist?" And unfortunately, I think that's probably how most people start down this road, mm-hmm. is because they wait and wait and wait and keep putting things off until you get to a boiling point. It's almost like. Um, someone who's in a job that they really hate. They're like, should I quit my job right now? Because it's like, well, no, you should have quit it like a year ago. But but a year prior to that year, you should have planned an exit. And like now you're at this point where like you feel like you have to do something radical. Mm. Um, and, I'll, you know, for me, and I definitely felt like I had to do something radical where I was in my life. So minimalism, it was like radical enough, not because not for any other reason than I needed – to change my state. I needed a different perspective on how I was approaching my life. So that's what I saw minimalism as an opportunity. Now this question asks over the last 11 years, Mm -hmm. but technically it's been you've been doing this for about 12 plus years, right? Yeah, and you've been doing it for over 11.
0: What's what's fascinating is this year 2021 Mm. is our 30th anniversary Ryan. (laughs) you and i have known each other since 1991
1: yeah that's wild
0: man and we've been great friends and on the maximal episode this week i actually want to go back to our childhood and talk a little bit about how the narrative overlay is ryan and i have been best friends since we were fat little fifth graders Mm. and while that's partially true it's not the whole story and we've had times in our lives where we've grown apart and we've come back together Mm. and so i want to talk to you about a lot of that yeah you use this word radical and what's so fascinating about it is you're right. Minimalism does seem so radical to certain people, but the reason it does is because we've been doing all of these radical things. Yeah, we've been steeped in radness
1: <laughs> <laughs> radicalness.
0: Yeah, and, and yeah. We, we've had so you know, having three hundred thousand items in your home. Was it? That's normal. It's,
1: well, it's normal average. now. Yeah, that's what we what, what I mean by normal, yeah. right? It's It's average. It's the
0: mm, norm, right? Yeah, and yet if you look a hundred years ago 200 years ago a thousand years ago Mm. that's so radical and unheard of kings
1: didn't have three hundred thousand items in their home dude native americans thought it was a uh, a mental illness Mm -hmm. it is yes really i mean so we're like the level of hoarding we have now it's an acceptable level of hoarding because it's average. Yes. But you're right. A thousand years ago, they would have looked at us like, why are you holding on to so much stuff?
0: Right. And you and your possessions and the me, the mine, I'm not against having personal possessions. Obviously, I have plenty of them, but I do have a problem with the clinging. Mm. And we quite, we quite often cling with the, oh, that's mine. Mm. In fact, we see it manifest a mental illness. There's a guy across the street this, this morning. You and I Ooh. saw him. Yeah. He, uh, he's been living literally across the street from the studio here. And yeah. he is, I mean, he's a traditionally mentally ill hoarder. Poor guy. And, and yeah, I mean, I, I feel so bad for him, but there's a guy who bought the building across the street and he even offered him money and tried to help him out, get out of here. Can I yeah. get you housing? Like, is there something I can do here? Yeah. And the guy has simply refused, but he has, I mean, I feel like he has 300,000 items across the street. You can't even walk down the sidewalk where he is
1: anymore. And you know, it's that's a great observation because people will often ask like, well, how does how does a homeless person use minimalism in their life? And I agree, like there there are different... Um, people are on a different socioeconomic scale. My problems are different from a homeless person's problems. Right. But using that person as an example, um, he, he was, he's in such a scarcity mindset that he holds on to every single thing. That's right, which actually ends up being a detriment to him.
0: Yeah, in fact, you and I grew up really poor. Mm-hmm. You know, I, we hear people all the time. So yeah, I, I uh, I'm poor. That means I'm a minimalist, right? It's like, well, no, we, we definitely weren't minimalist when we were growing up. And By the way, you're American
1: poor, which is way different than poor poor.
0: Yeah, here's here's a stat for you. Do you make thirty two thousand dollars or more? If so, you're in the top one percent of people in the world. Yeah, that's crazy you you're a one percenter that's right 16 bucks an hour by uh, the way and and so i like what's fascinating is we can get out of poverty mm-hmm. but we often don't get out of the poverty mindset yeah and that's where ryan and i were we still had a scarcity mindset we left behind where we grew up we climbed the corporate ladder we spent here's the weird thing Ryan. next year will be 12 years for us yeah. i spent 12 and so it's 12 years for me right now uh, minimalism since i discovered minimalism and it came into my life and i didn't discover it by the way like i mean i discovered it the way same way christopher columbus discovered america right or like, ben
1: franklin discovered electricity yes yeah.
0: it, like minimalism was already there i happened to you, stumble you, into it you uncovered it yes i uncovered it for me anyway it's been 12 years for me since i, I simplified my life a little bit over 12 years mm. at this point so it was eh, what was that 2009 when my mom died and my marriage ended both in, in the same year, in the same month yeah. that year. And I started looking around and I realized like, oh, I'd spent the last 12 years in the corporate world, climbing the corporate ladder, but I still had that scarcity mindset. Yeah, I was still clinging, grasping. Now I was clinging to different things and, and I was told that they were better things, mm. but they weren't better. They were societally acceptable clinging. Yeah. I was, holding on to status achievement success etc and there's nothing wrong with those things as a byproduct Mm. but if i think they're going to make me happy fulfilled complete it's just another form of consumerism and even when walking away from that world and becoming the minimalist i've seen times where it's like oh yeah here's the right way to be successful Mm. well that can also turn into another form of Consumerism. Yeah. And so here's the main lesson that I've learned. Yeah. I was is, just going to ask you,
1: like if you had to highlight it, all, your understandings,
0: how, how they've changed. Consumerism extends well beyond the stuff. Ooh, yeah, for so sure. Consumerism is the ideology that buying things is going to make me happy or complete. Mm. But we often shift that. Well, I'll get rid of my things and now I'm going to be a consumer of experiences. Mm. Experiences are great. I really enjoy them. In fact, the one way to be present is to experience life. However, if we start chasing experiences, if I just had this experience, then I would be happy. If I just had this experience, then I'd be fulfilled. If I had this experience, it would be better than owning stuff. Well, maybe, but maybe it's also a chase. And so any yeah. chase often takes away my freedom. And I value freedom I value peace. I value tranquility in a way that I didn't value it in my 20s. And it's not good. You'd say that you should value peace. It's just I would say that I wanted freedom. Mm. I would say that I wanted peace, but then my actions would be everything that took me
1: out of peace, mm. added chaos disorder to my life. Yeah, man, I could go on this entire podcast about how my, how my uh, opinion or my understanding of uh, an approach towards minimalism has changed. Some of the things that stand out is uh, so for me, minimalism there, there is no destination. You never have the the perfect amount of stuff, right? It is a, it is a constant moving target that you have to adjust for as time goes on. And uh, if anything, it's just made me more flexible to, um, to, to, towards change the other thing too is so, so we've been I was just l- uh, listening to this I forget who wrote it but it's a book on stoicism and they're talking they were talking about how pre post-industrial age the um, the message propagated was there's a God's there's a God shaped hole in your life yes and like that's what you're missing you're mm. missing God in your life and now post industrialization there is a consumerism shaped hole in our life yeah, and in a lot of ways, the God-shaped hole can still, you know, apply to today. So, so I thought minimalism was going to fill this hole. I thought uh, it was going to like not make me complete, but I thought it was going to help me move through life in a way where I didn't feel like I was missing something. Yeah. It would fix the problem. Yeah. So I don't. I don't miss anything. I don't feel like I'm missing anything. But there's still a little bit of a of a void there. And what I've learned from this journey over the last 11, 12 years is that that void, it is so much better to like, instead of like, you know, in a car driving away from that void, it's like I I have it in the passenger seat with me Mm. and really understanding that there's nothing that will ever fill that void. There might be a brief instant where you know, I feel like, oh, everything's perfect right now and it and it's true for that moment, but that void will always come back in some way. So for me, minimalism doesn't fill the void. What it does is it narrows it and it has really helped me accept it. If that am like, I'm friends with the void now. Yeah. In fact, it's made you realize that
0: there isn't a should fill the void right and and I think that's the problem. In fact, we use the word "void" as though it's pejorative. I was having this great conversation with Danny this week, and we were here trying to hang these these paintings that are behind us that didn't get hung um and so you're in a weird sort of transitional pace space of the studio right now, but Danny and I were talking about how a lot of these words are used pejoratively mm. and, you know there's a word like um inferior yeah like well, of course it, it, you look at that and, and we've been programmed to think, oh, that's bad, right but like if you actually want to grow, you want to be inferior to the person you're learning from. Yeah. I was telling Danny, like there's nothing I can teach you about audio video stuff. Now I can guide you through your own growth here Mm -hmm. in so many other ways, but I'm inferior to Danny with respect to audio video. Yeah. Now it doesn't mean I couldn't, change that in the
1: future, but in fact, if I wanted to learn audio video, I love how the caveat is in there. I could st- I could totally not be inferior though. If I <laughs> anyway,
0: well, no, I, what, what I'm saying is yeah. like if I felt compelled to do audio sure. video stuff, yes, then I'm sure I could get good at it. I'm just not I'm not compelled to do it really yeah. right, yeah. but he and Jordan are compelled and so what's fascinating is if I wanted to become you know, better more nuanced have a deeper understanding of of the audio video stuff then i would subordinate myself to danny because mm. I, that's how i would learn from him absolutely being yeah. inferior is actually what you want in that instance take that back to the void i want the void mm. because what's the opposite if you go into a giant museum and you're in this cavernous beautiful room it's mostly empty now we could call that a void mm-hmm or we can call it beauty. Yeah. We can call it acceptance. We can call it space, open space. In fact, when you uh, when you go to Wyoming or Montana, it's not like, man, when are they going to start building all the condos here? Mm. Like, what what are you doing with all this uh, space? No, it's like, wow, mm. look at all this open space. Isn't that stunning? So the void isn't bad, and we've been told that the void is bad, and therefore, because it's bad, we need to fill it with things. And when the things don't work, I need to fill it with experiences. When the experiences don't work, I need to fill it with people. When Mm. when the people don't work, I need to fill it with creativity. When the Mm. creativity doesn't work, I need to fill it with contribution. But maybe the first thing I need to do is know that the void is just wide open space Mm. and it can be beautiful on its own. Let's move on to our callers. If you have a question, comment for our podcast, give us a call, 406-219-7839, or email a voice memo to podcast at com. Hey, podcast, Sean, looks like we got a call from Charles in Ottawa.
3: Just wondering what advice you have for someone who's over 50, uh, specifically 54, who's thinking of being uh, a minimalist. Uh, I already live in a one-bedroom apartment uh, with my wife, so just that space alone requires us to maybe have fewer things than most people our age, but we still think we could do more. Uh, However, unlike the 30-year-old minimalists, the things we do have have been with us for a lot more years. So what advice would you have uh, for people in that age bracket who are trying to let go of things that that maybe they've had for 30-plus years?
1: So Josh, how can we help Charles get more minimalism in his life? (laughs) 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 fill the void with minimalism no i think it's a fascinating
0: question because really what he's saying here is i've grown more attached to these things over the years Mm. that is what we call sentimentality Mm. and sentimentality isn't good or bad but it does mean excess sentiment Mm. right and so sometimes i have excess sentiment For someone, for people especially, for you, Ryan. I mean, I I have much more sentimentality toward you than I do a random person I I run across uh, on the street. Sure. And yet, quite often, this sentimentality, this excess sentiment, puts things in a skewed perspective Mm. you and i've been to the the dolly museum a few times in Mm. st petersburg florida one of my favorites it really is it's stunning he's a surrealist and he changes the perspective of things so it's real but it's also surreal and that's what happens with our sentimental items they're real to us but the sentiment is not real it is Mm. surreal Mm. in a way it is It keeps us clinging to those things because, oh, I've had it for so long and therefore it must mean more to me. Mm. Well, nothing is inherently sentimental and so we can assign whatever meaning we want to our things. Mm. But if everything is meaningful to you, then nothing is truly meaningful. I remember when I was dealing with my mom's stuff and packing up all of her things and I realized that, oh my God, I'm going to have 100,000 sentimental items. Mm. Well, I'm just watering down the things that I might be able to get value from. In fact, I'm cluttering the sentimentality with more sentimentality. I'm cluttering the sentiment with more sentimentality. And so it wasn't about getting rid of all of her stuff, though. It was about two things. One, it was about having fewer things so I could enjoy the sentimental things much more. But second and more important, it was about not holding on to the meaning that I thought those things had understanding. Mm. It wasn't now. It's not about letting go through a process. Here are the three ways to let go of sentimental items. No, no. no. It's about understanding that these things aren't serving me in any way. They're actually getting in the way. Mm. So Charles lives in a one bedroom apartment with his wife well, it's possible to be a hoarder in a one-bedroom apartment. Sure. In fact, in many ways, it's easier because you don't have a, a bunch of places to put your stuff, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, Danny just moved into a a tiny apartment, and he knows this right now because he's like, he's like, oh, I I have to be really careful with what I what I bring in here because otherwise, it's going to clutter up the space really quickly. I think about our friend Joshua Becker, who's in our first documentary Minimalism. We went out to their house in Arizona, mm-hmm. right outside of Phoenix. Mm-hmm. They live in the suburbs, cul-de-sac neighborhood, yeah. a decent-sized house, right? Mm-hmm. Not a mansion, not too big, but a lot of open space. Oh, yeah. And what I enjoy about that is that is also hard because we often feel if you have a four-bedroom house, because he and his wife, I think they have a three-bedroom three house, he and his wife and, and both of their kids. Mm-hmm. Well, if you have all that space, it feels really easy to fill. In fact, you feel compelled. You oh, fill no. fill it got to fill the void. Yeah, and that often makes us miserable because what's happening now, whether you are 30 years old, 40 years old or 54 years old like mm-hmm. Charles, you can become a minimalist at any stage in your life. We've had people in their nineties come to our events. I remember our, uh, a great grandmother who came to our um, San Diego San Diego event. Yeah, brought three generations of daughters with her. Yeah, that was pretty cool. They were all going through their own version of simplifying. And yes, while it looked different for each of them, it's going to look different for every person. If you take two 24-year-olds who are embracing minimalism, it always starts with the benefits. It's the reason we started our last um, Netflix film, Less Is Now, with that question. How might your life be better with less? And so, Charles, you've got to start with that question as well. If you're, if you're already a minimalist, you're already simplifying, how might your life be better with less? And the truth might be, It's not going to be and that means don't deprive yourself. Don't feel that you need to be a Spartanist. If you go back to episode 300 Ryan, and I did a whole episode about Spartanism Mm. the inability to hold on to anything that is the opposite of hoarding in some ways, but it's still on the same continuum. Both of those things have the ability to get in the way
1: man Charles. I just want to say congrats man on you know doing this starting this journey at an older age because I feel like. It would be very easy to use that as an excuse to not ever start uh, this journey. So, I mean, yeah, kudos to you, man. Amen. So the whole thing about minimalism, right, it's it's living intentionally. It's about um, using your resources deliberately. So, Charles, you live in a one-bedroom apartment. I mean, I would dare to say, like maybe you need a two-bedroom report. I don't know. Yeah, but minimalism isn't about just like how can I how can I get rid of more things? How can I be more of a minimalist? Uh, Really the minimalism is this, you know, Trojan horse for Josh and I to talk about the the way uh, the way we live meaningful lives and for you to, you know, take some of those ingredients. So seriously like look at your do you do you is the one bedroom apartment suiting you if it is great right but don't deprive yourself just for the sake of like what would ryan and josh do or yeah whatever um but but i'll tell you if if, if there's anything i i, I would recommend because I, I feel like i could give this advice to anybody if you're in a position to where you can you have the 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 privilege or the luxury of sitting around and and saying, okay, what, what more can I do to live a meaningful life? Find ways to give Charles. Like there's, Mm. there's no better way than to, um, to, to not fill the void, Mm -hmm. but to narrow it a little bit. When you give to someone else, like I, I really enjoy whether it's, you know, buying a homeless person, a sandwich or whether it's doing something for my brother, Mm -hmm. there is this, there is this, uh, almost elation that you get from giving when you do that the void no longer matters yeah so so charles if anything man um make sure that a you the way you're living your life is conducive for you and your wife and if it is great if you're looking for more the question isn't what can i do to get rid of more maybe the question is how can i give more
0: yeah Yeah. And and the deprivation piece, I think, is really important, Ryan, because sometimes it does make sense to temporarily deprive yourself. Sure. When you did your packing party, it was, hey, I'm going to get rid of these things for three weeks, figure out what actually adds value. Mm -hmm. But if you're beyond that that point, it's not long term deprivation that can be harmful to you. The other thing I'll say is minimalism is not the point of doing whatever you're doing. Yeah, it's not the end goal. It's not the destination. It is not where you're headed. I'm going to be a minimalist someday. That is not a virtuous goal. Mm. That's like saying I'm going to own a hammer someday, right? Okay, great. What are you going to do with that hammer, right? what are you going to do with the newfound time
1: and attention and resources that you have? Oh, that's a great example. Like, are you going to bludgeon someone with it, right? Or are you going to go work on habitat for humanity with it? Yes. <laughs> yeah, and
0: either one of those things are something you can do mm. with a hammer,
1: Yeah.
0: or you can just sit it in a drawer and do nothing with it, and then it's wasted mm. in general. So, so I think that when I, when I think about minimalism and deprivation, yes, you'll temporarily deprive yourself to figure out what adds value to your life. It starts with the stuff. But what else? What else is sucking your attention? Yeah. Is it your smartphone? Is it your TV? Is it your internet connection? Whatever it is, you can remove that from your life for a period of time. Maybe it's processed foods. What, what is excess in your life? You can start there, temporarily remove
1: it, and then slowly... Reintroduce the things that actually add value. Yeah, I love that example of the hammer sitting in a drawer because I think people will look at you and I and they're like, "Oh, well, these guys were miserable, and then they found minimalism, and now they're preaching it from the mountaintops." So I need to be a minimalist, but yeah, becoming a minimalist is just the first step. Yeah, um, a lot. A lot of people ask. I mean, how many times do we get the question where they're like, "Man, I've like." Minimize, I've I've downsized, I've organized, I got really good relationships in my life, but now what? Right. Like now, I don't, now like I don't know what to do with my time. And I would say like that's probably the hardest part about the whole journey is like figuring out what do you do with your time.
0: And the other problem we have is thinking we need to fill the time now.
1: Yeah, sure. true too.
0: Oh, I guess I'm supposed to do this. I got rid of this. What should I replace it with? I got rid of this relationship. What should I replace it with? I got rid of this item. What should I replace it with? Mm. I got rid of this career. What should I replace it with? I got rid of this home. What should I replace it with? Well, maybe you don't need to replace it with anything. Maybe you can make peace and even feel peace yeah. because of that void because of that open space that you've opened up in your own life mm. you can tick tock that danny unknown Alabama. Let's. Oh, before we get into some Patreon comments from the live stream here, Chris, uh, Charles, I want to send you a couple tickets. You are in Ontario. We're going to be in Ontario really soon. Heck yeah. This is our 10th tour in 11 years. It's called the Love People Use Things Tour. Ryan and I have already done nine of those events and in January and February, we're going to be in 11 other cities. We'll be in New York and Boston and D.C. and Toronto and Columbus and Chicago and and minneapolis and vancouver and seattle san francisco and here in los angeles ryan gives a talk about minimalism we're gonna do a live version of the podcast we're gonna answer your questions also i'm gonna read from our new book which is called love people use things so charles i'd love to give you a couple tickets to our toronto event if you want to make that couple hour drive from ottawa anyone else can go to the minimalists.com tour to find a city near you Let's check in with the live stream real quick. Do we have any comments from our Patreon supporters?
2: We do. Ricardo says, love the behind the scenes activities. He also adds impending retirement helps one to become a minimalist. Heck yeah. We also have a comment from Sam that says the tech team is doing a great job.
0: <laughs> yes, job, indeed. Tech team We got Jordan No More here. Podcast Sean, Malabama, and Danny Unknown all behind the cameras. They're helping yeah. out a ton. Also, shout out to Jess, Social Jess. She's, she's here in spirit as well as Emma,
1: the immigrant, Ryan, what time is it? You know what time it is. It's time for the lightning round where we answer your text messages. You can text your questions and comments to nine, three, seven two zero two four six five four
0: yes indeed now during the lightning round this is where ryan and i do our best to answer questions with a short share of a less than 140 character response we put the text to these minimal maxims in the show notes so you can copy and share our pithy answers on social media and oh by the way you can find all of our minimal maxims in one place now minimalmaxims.com lisa has a question for us
2: in an alternate universe where you have the power to make everyone in the world a minimalist, <laughs> according to your rules and blogs, do you use your power to do it?
1: Hell no. That doesn't sound like the. That doesn't. What, what did they say? The um. Oh, in an alternate, I thought it was uh, in the ultimate universe. I'm like that. That sounds miserable, <laughs> <laughs> right? Well, yeah, so
0: let, let's talk about why it sounds miserable. So here's here's my pithy answer. Then we'll unpack it. To persuade someone is to unlove them. Mm. now let's talk about that because i for most of my life and in fact i want to talk about this on the private podcast i've learned so much over the last two years ryan it has nothing to do with the pandemic Um, although maybe the pandemic opened up some space for, for some deeper understanding but i'll tell you this i used to want to persuade people because i thought that was how i could love them if i could just convince them coerce them is really the way to say it mm. Persuasion's a very nice friendly way to say it. i'm going to coerce you oh yeah i'm going to persuade you to see my point of view now i can give you my point of view mm-hmm. my perspective mm-hmm. and if i don't have that desire to persuade you quite often it may persuade you but trying to persuade someone is where we often go wrong because it inadvertently places us on a pedestal mm. i'm thinking if ryan if we if we had that magic wand. We could wave it now. Everyone is a minimalist. Mm. Are you familiar with uh, Turkmenistan the country? They had this dictator their um, their main city, which is called Ashgabat. They um, (laughs) it's stunning and it looks like this weird pseudo minimalist paradise in a way. Mm. All the buildings are white marble there. Oh wow, so they have this huge natural gas reserve, so they have tons of money there, right? but when you central plan something and 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 you do it this. In fact, all the cars there are white as well because the dictator didn't like the you know, red cars or blue cars or whatever really and so me someone like me going there. I'd be like oh, this is astonishing, right? Yeah. But the problem is when you force that upon everyone else. Yeah, it makes them miserable. It's a Dale Carnegie quote which I often attribute it to PT Barnum for some reason, but uh, Dale Carnegie said a man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still, Mm -hmm. and so if I could convince everyone to become a minimalist, they wouldn't actually be a minimalist. Mm. They would be forced. They'd be constricted. They'd be restricted. That's not minimalism, because as Ryan said earlier, minimalism is about using your resources intentionally. Well, if you don't have any other choice, then how could you possibly be intentional?
1: Mm. Yeah, that that much power seems um yeah, it just, it, it seems daunting. It seems like when someone has that much power, they're inevitably going to be corrupted. And the reason being is, is you can't please everyone with that type of power. So there is going to be some people who you have to ignore their preferences. And I don't like ignoring people's preferences.
0: Right, but so, you're right. In, in that situation, you might have to. There's only two options there is you either will eventually become corrupted by that much power mm-hmm. or you'll have to let it go. I think about you know, the president Calvin Coolidge, mm. who was truly a president. He presided over the country. Like He didn't even run for another term because it was like I don't want this power, mm. but of course, someone's always going to come in and try to grab that power
1: away. Usually the wrong people too. Mm. It's yeah. Anyone who like is really vying to be president like you've got a question like what are their intentions? Yes, like what are they? What are they really after? Um, my, my pithy answer is this I'd rather empower someone than exert power over someone. so you know I joked around about the um during the cultish episode how I want to start a cult <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I, The only reason I would want to start a cult is so I could like help empower people. It wouldn't be so I could preside over them right and be like, here's what, the way we're gonna do it. Well, you could Here- preside, but you wouldn't be trying to corral them in a way, right? Yeah, yeah, I I see what you're saying by preside there. So yeah, in that sense, yes, I would be but it would be more about like having having a group of people who are really or uh, are, 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 are empowered themselves to live the lives that they want to live. right. Um, but it turns out you know we're already kind of a cult, so you know <laughs> <laughs> Dream come true. Welcome aboard minimizers. <laughs> that's right. That's right. We
0: got so much more to talk about. but first right here right now, here's one thing that's going on in the life of the minimalist. As you can see, we're in this beautiful new studio. We spent the other day building this giant desk. Well, when I say we, it was mostly Jordan no more he's rather handy (laughs) and uh, the desk showed up it's custom made shout out to our patreon supporters for making this studio possible. Yeah, it is truly stunning and I hesitate to say this, but you can see the art behind us from Beulah Uh, beautiful beautiful art. The studio is still about ninety percent complete right now another ten percent to go, Mm. but our old paintings that were in here. We had her paint these two giant ones which are going to be hang hung. People are hanged paintings are hung. Mm. Uh, They're going to be hung tomorrow from uh, from the ceiling and so you're actually getting to see a sort of behind the scenes look right now, but we had four older paintings in here and I hesitate to say this because we're offering them to our patrons first. So by the time this comes out, they might already be gone, Mm. but Beulah is selling those four paintings if you want them. Um, the minimalists.com slash art. That just takes you to her website. It's not our website, but it's a quick forward because I couldn't remember the the URL. So if you want to own a piece of the Minimalist Studio, no pressure. They're not gonna make you more complete. They're not gonna make your life better or improved. They might add a little beauty to your home, but you'll be just fine without them. But if you are interested, all four of those paintings are available at theminimalists.com slash art. And if you want to see a studio tour, we've got four of them up right now of the Minimalists podcast studio. The fifth and final one is coming real soon. Those are all available over at Patreon. Mal, what do you got for us?
2: Here are some voicemail comments and insights from our listeners.
3: Hi, my name is Yasin Barra. I'm from Winnipeg, Manitoba. I'm uh, calling to leave a voicemail in response to the episode on jobs. Uh, There's a common thread in your work that relates to uh, living a meaningful life, and a lot of the discussion around jobs uh, tends to relate to finding meaningful work. And I think a shortcut uh, to finding meaningful work is actually to just introduce the element of helping people to pretty much any kind of work. So if you were to take any sort of job, and just introduce an element of helping people to the actual content of the work, that's a direct route to finding more meaning in that work. Um, in my case, I've done just that by, uh, by quitting the, the corporate job in order to start a, uh, a social enterprise, and that's kind of my, uh, my tip for this, uh, this message, is um, the concept of a social enterprise is something that people maybe want to familiarize themselves with, which is to say, basically conducting any sort of typical business uh, but perhaps structured as a nonprofit, where proceeds are used to advance some sort of social or environmental cause, and in that way, you're combining potentially the skills that you've uh, you've acquired in the context of a regular job and coupling them with the idea of helping people. And uh, I've found that to be a really, really great way to find meaning in my work.
4: Hi, minimalists. This is Elizabeth from South Jordan, Utah, and I was just listening to your podcast about friends and relationships. And particularly your response to Rebecca's question about how to improve relationships or move on after a relationship ends. As someone who does believe that relationships are one of the things that we take with us when we go, so to speak, I really appreciate your advice on how to take inventory of relationships to make sure that we're all staying on the, on the right track and on the path that we want to be. I would add to your advice to Rebecca, though, just kind of a cautionary word that the idea of not settling can sometimes turn into nitpicking, and I would say that that's a very fine line, but an important one to remember that if not settling means that you have such a long laundry list of traits that you're never able to actually commit to anyone you're going to have a long and miserable dating life. I would also add that it's important to remember that sometimes the people who are the best for us are the ones who challenge us the most and in many ways are the most different from us. I know that's been my experience with my relationship with my husband, and I wanted to put that out there for anyone else who's listening, that just because it might be hard or challenging doesn't mean that you're settling. In some ways, uh, you might be winning, in those situations more than others
0: happy anniversary ryan happy anniversary we did it 11 years what is
4: it
1: again turquoise anniversary turquoise yes we did it
0: <laughs> here we are turquoise year well you've added a lot of value to my life ryan i appreciate you i appreciate Amen. everyone here like speaking of added value we've moved our added value segment over to the private podcast we got a great added value for you this week uh, speaking of the private podcast here's a loving testimonial from deborah she says i stumbled into your podcast by accident That's what happened with us and minimalism, right? Pretty much. I just stumbled into minimal. And thankfully, it wasn't like a cult, like a a detrimental cult where I was like, I had to join and like shave my head and... I'll tell you what, the
1: white Colin Wright is so handsome. I would follow him into any cult.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Colin is the one who introduced us to minimalism initially. Anyway, uh, Deborah says she stumbled into the podcast by accident and really struck a chord with me. I like the thoughtful approach and camaraderie you guys share. Ever since I started listening, I've been decluttering and enjoying living with less. And I finally decided that it was time to commit to being a simpleton. That's what we call our. Uh, our private podcast supporters by the way simpletons because mm. ryan and i are the the of the head simpletons yes she said mainly because i hated the thought of you guys having fun without me <laughs> well you're all welcome to join she says thank you for producing a wonderful helpful private podcast guys by the way we have a bunch more surprise questions this week like in what ways is digital clutter better than physical clutter? What have the minimalists learned so far about minimizing life's internal clutter like stress, depression, and worry? And looking back on the past 11 years, is there anything you did at the beginning of your journey? that you would change if you could. Plus a million more questions for The Minimalists. And if you want to hear all that, check out The Minimalists' private podcast. Visit patreon.com slash theminimalists to subscribe and get your personal link so that our weekly private podcast plays in your favorite podcast app. You'll also gain immediate access to hundreds of hours of private archives, recordings of live events, exclusive home tours, and our private community of thousands of open-minded minimizers like you. You can follow The Minimalists on TikTok, instagram facebook and twitter at the minimalists if you want our podcast show notes in your inbox sign up for our email list at the minimalists.com on behalf of ryan nicodemus podcast sean Alabama jordan no more social jest danny unknown emma the immigrant and the rest of our team i'm joshua fields Millward, reminding you to love people and use things because the opposite never works thanks for listening y'all
1: we'll see you next time
4: Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing that's just feeding your greed Oh, I bet that you will be fine without it